complex narratives have been taken by alien beings into UFOs on beams of light. The Air Force is trying to cover up with a picture of Venus and the moon. From my own point of view, I'm going to be very disappointed if UFOs turn out to be nothing more than visitors from another planet, because I think there could be something much more interesting. I'm not telling you. The United States government is telling you that. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the channel. Uh, I'm your host, Vinny Adams. Now, uh, a lot of you are aware that I announced my new co-host this week, uh, Katie Howland. Unfortunately, Katie is unwell today, so she's not able to join us here for this interview. So I hope you'll join me in sending uh, our best wishes to her for a speedy recovery. So Katie, if you're watching or if you're listening at a later date, please get better soon. Uh, I can't wait to get started uh, doing these interviews with you. Um, thank you all for being here. I see a lot of you in the live chat already. Really good. If any of you have any questions throughout this interview, please pop them in capital letters. Um, that way I get to notice it. We do accept super chats as well, things like that. And I mentioned in one of my previous interviews that we now have a sponsor. It is a novel, 29 Degrees North by Dan Quinn. I highly recommend it if you like a good kind of adventure story. Um, the links are in the description for that. It's about $3 on Kindle, about $7 for paperback. So that helps support the channel and, and the work that we do here. So yeah, thanks guys. Uh, as always, keep that chat cool, calm and collected as you always do. And yeah, let's get straight into it. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, so let me welcome my guest, veteran UK UFO researcher, author, lecturer, broadcaster and publisher, Mr. Philip Mantle. Philip, how are you? Yeah, good evening, Vinny. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I've been following your work for quite some time, and uh, it's it's great to finally have the opportunity to talk with you. It's my pleasure, I can assure you. Thank you. Uh, Philip, if you don't mind, I'd love to just basically touch upon what really sort of got you started in the UFO subject, uh, you know, those those years ago. I'd really uh, be uh, interesting to hear how it all began. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, go back as far as I can, Vinny. I was always interested in all things, shall we say, paranormal, yeah. you know, even as a young kid, as far as I can remember. And um, I had several interests. There was the paranormal. I loved horror movies, uh, astronomy and the space race. That, that, you know, that was about it, really. And um, I would read whatever I could find about certain topics. Uh, my mum, God rest her, was always, you know, very inquisitive uh, I don't know if it starts with her. My mum uh, came from uh, uh, Northern Ireland. Right. Now, when she was young, they lived in a very rural part of the country. This is pre-Second pre World War. And they had a little small holding. And uh, she told me that she met a fairy down by the stream. A, a little female fairy, pretty clothes, wings. And she conversed with it. She talked to it. And this fairy said, if you drink from this bottle, you'll never have an accident. So she drank it and she never had, never had an accident. Well, unless you call my father an accident, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, you know. But um, and I, I remember she told me the story down the decades. I would ask her about it. And I said, you know, mom, was, was this real? She said, it was real to me, son. And she told my children, her grandchildren as well, you know. So it was certainly real to her. So I was. she was always open-minded about things. She wasn't any great intellect was my mom or anything like that. But I was fortunate because where I lived, I was brought up on a council estate. And literally, the other side of the road was my best friend's grandma. And she used to go, we lived just outside of Leeds in West Yorkshire. She used to go to the local spiritualist church every now and again in a little town called Morley. You know, it was just a 10-minute bus ride away. So on occasion, I would go with her. And I found it fascinating. I didn't necessarily agree with what they were saying and what their stance was. But nonetheless, I found it interesting. And of course, when I was at high school, some of the teachers after the school holidays 
when we returned would say, what, what, what did you do during the holidays? And somebody said, oh, I went pony riding, you know, we went to Spain on holiday. What about you, Mantle? Oh, I went to the spiritualist church. <laughs> you know, uh, it wasn't a great way of, of, of getting a girlfriend, I can assure you. Um, <laughs> and then, one, you know, I don't, so at some point, I don't know if it's when I, just before I left high school, I read an astronomy book. Uh, to this day, I can't remember what it was called, but it had one chapter on UFOs and it basically dismissed them. I found it a bit curious because elsewhere in this book, there were things about space and space travel that were purely science fiction, but seemed to be nonetheless accepted. Um, and of course, now we realize that most of what they were talking about was wrong anyway. We've learned so much more. So that kind of intrigued me. And I read a few books on the subject and, and a few things. Then in, uh, I left high school in 1974. In the the winter of 1978 over into 1979 a very famous winter in the uk it's known as the winter of discontent when the country was collapsing and pretty much everybody was on strike well i wasn't because i went out to work in what was west germany with a friend right. of mine and of course couldn't speak a word of the language so i rang my mom i said can you send me some books to read anything you know so she sent me a parcel of books, and they were all paperback books on UFOs. Where on earth she got them, Vinny, I have no idea. So I'm reading these things on a night after work. So by the time in 1979 I returned to the UK, I had a bit more knowledge about the subject. And like I said, we lived just outside of Leeds. And Leeds then, and as does now, has an evening newspaper. And it's called the Yorkshire Evening Post. And my aunt, who lived around the corner from us, she brought the newspaper around one night and she said, have you seen this? And there was an advertisement in it for the formation of the Yorkshire UFO Society coming up that Sunday in Leeds. And it gave you the location and the time. Just a small ad, literally a small ad. So as you're probably aware, in those days on a Sunday, the whole country used to pretty much close down anyway. So I got, I didn't drive. I got the bus into Leeds. I found this place, it was called Centenary House on North Street in Leeds, it's still there. Uh, I, wanted, I, I just, you know, heard some noise in one of the rooms and there was the Yorkshire UFO Society. They'd been formed by two brothers, Graham and Mark Birdsell. They put on a presentation, uh, so it was obvious they'd been involved for a few years already. Mm. For me, it was great. They had a table of books, you know, I could buy some more books. Uh, and that was it. Vinny, and I, I was, I felt as if I'd found my, my, my niche in life. I felt like I'd, I'd come home. I just felt comfortable there. And I, I joined, I think I paid two pounds for the whole year as, as my membership. And that's literally how it all began. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I certainly know that feeling of kind of finding your place where you're meant to be and finding your home as, as I found the subject. No, that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, I mean, I could talk all day about everything that happened in the in the in between years, but I really love to just jump to when this this alien autopsy thing really first you know came up on your radar, where where it started and and how you got involved and and the hype that kind of came with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as the years progressed at the Yorkshire UFO Society, I, I did a lot of stuff. We had another organisation that we we formed here called the Independent UFO Network, and then I went on to join. Bufora, the British UFO Research Association, which was a national organization. And again, I did a variety of roles for them. And we, we jumped forward in time now to 1993. And one of the roles that I, I, I played was I was their press officer. Right. So this is the these are the days before the internet and before email. So anything from any media would eventually make its way across my desk. And we had a letter one day from a company called the Merlin Group in London, a very straightforward letter saying, could we assist them in the making of a UFO documentary? Nothing specific. Um, I wrote back and sent them some information about View Forward and what we could and couldn't do. Uh, so we had a couple of letters exchanging a couple of faxes, believe it or not. We had a fax machine in those days. So in the end, 
I spoke with the with the the uh, the CEO, the managing manager of this place, the owner, it was a chap called Ray Santilli. And initially we were talking about, you know, a very general sort of UFO documentary. He was looking for film footage, still photographs. We didn't have that, but I knew places that did and so on. And then as our conversation developed, completely out of the blue, I, know, I mean, no warning about this whatsoever. Santilli said, well, I've got film of Rosewell. Didn't call it Roswell, called it <laughs> Rosewell. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I've got film of the, the UFO crash and the creatures being examined. So naturally, I just said, show me. Yeah. So I met Ray in London. We used to have um, meetings in London and, and le evening lectures at the London Business School which wasn't far from where Ray Santilli's offices were. So I invited him around one evening. And after the lecture was over, um, he told me this story again. And he said, I went out to um, Cleveland, Ohio. He said, my main business is music. Buy and sell things, license it, photographs, all this, kind of, you know, back catalogs. And he said, we were actually looking for old film of the rock and roll stars before they were famous you know, Elvis, whoever, because they did the college circuit in this area. And this is one guy stepped forward, an old boy, and said, I've, I've got a clip of Elvis. Uh, the company I work for is no longer in existence, so there's no copyright. So he said, right, fine, cash transaction, check hands, thank you very much. Then he said, this, this, this old boy came back to us before we flew home and said, um, well, actually, before I was a freelance cameraman, I was in the military. And I filmed the UFO crash at Roswell. So Santilli said he went to this guy's home where he got the film, put it on a projector and showed it on the wall. And he said, basically, how much do you want for it? And they shook hands, you know, no paperwork, not allowed to release his name. And I said, that's a great story, Ray. You know, fantastic story. Show me. You know, it's, it's as simple as that, you know. Yes, I can. No, I can't. So I went home. This conversation went backward and forwards. And in the end, I just told him to bugger off, Finney, you know. I said, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's rubbish. Uh, I, I, did, I did tell a few of my colleagues what Santilli was claiming. I said, keep it to yourself. You know, I spoke to some of my colleagues at Beaufort or some at MUFON and some other guys I knew within the uh, UFO community. Basically, because I, I knew I could trust them and they wouldn't say anything. Yeah. Um, but at least I, was, I wasn't claiming anything. I was just telling them what Santilli was claiming. So we jump forward to now early 1995. Uh, and at this point, I'm also Buford's conference organizer. And we get, a, we get a videotape sent for review. And it's the Roswell the movie made by Paul Davids, starring Kyle McLaughlin and, and Martin Sheen. And Sony Music were releasing it. It was only a small time release. There was no big fanfare. We had just been sent a review copy. And it's simply called Roswell. It's not bad, actually. But what it did, it reminded me about this guy called Santilli. And he'd given me his uh, business card, which I kept, you know, you know, with all the other business cards. I, asked, I literally pulled it out and rang him out of the blue. And I said, Ray, do you still claim to have this Roswell footage? He says, yes, Philip, but you don't believe me. <laughs> so I said, I can't believe you until you show me it. So he says, speak to my secretary, put a date in my diary, come on down to London, and I'll show you it, which I did. Uh, I went with my wife. Um, Santurilli, his office was on Balcombe Street, which is a, a famous little street in its, its own right. There was the Balkan Street siege there where the embassy was attacked and uh, the SAS went in and, and got all the hostages out. That is, yep. but that's where his office is. And it, it's not some grand place, Vinny. It's over, it was over about three floors of people running up and down. There's no lift. <laughs> and I sat in his office and behind Ray, behind his desk, is a pile of film canisters, big round film canisters in a box. And he takes out a videotape, switches the TV on, sticks it in, and this very poor quality black and white film 
starts to roll. Uh, and it's what he called the tent footage. A lot of people won't know about this. They'll never have seen it. Basically, what he said, his mysterious cameraman had been called out there to the crash site. And the creature had been put in a field tent before being shipped elsewhere. And so you've got this thing laid out, covered up. But you can see the head and the hands. There's two men the other side of it in white coats. This blade glints every now and again. And you see some handling, some giblets or whatever. There's an old-fashioned uh, lamp hanging from the ceiling. A, a guy walks in front of the camera every now and again. The camera's static. There is no, no dialogue on it. And it runs for about eight minutes, you know. And it, it, I thought, well, at least there's film. You know, when mm. we, we now do have film, you know. And to my amazement, Ray gave me a copy of it on VHS. I took it home. But before I left, and I'm thinking, you know, what can I do? I, he said, I've got more. Yeah. We're processing it now. So over the next few weeks, he showed me more film. And this was what we've all seen on the TV or online as the, the alien autopsy film. You've got the creature on the slab, two people in hazmat suits, you know, dicing and slicing, somebody behind the window and so on. But what a lot of people are not aware of, uh, Vinny, is that actually, that's the one, there's actually two autopsy videos, two. One that you're showing here, where the right. creature has a big wound on its leg. Yeah. Uh, the other one, yeah, there you see it. The other uh, autopsy films, the same creature, same location, but it has no damage. And it's a lot brighter and it runs a few minutes longer. And then Santini showed us some wreckage. He calls it the debris footage. You see these panels and beams and so on. Okay. So I, I said to him, what is your intention? What are you going to do with this? And he said, I'm going to make my own documentary. I'd like your help with it, Philip. I said, okay. Uh, but in return, bear in mind, I told you I was Buford's conference organizer. I said, why don't you show it at our conference? We got one already organized this year in Sheffield, at Hallam University in August. And he said, yeah. And we shook hands. There was no contracts, it, you know, no money involved. And um, because the way I looked at it, Finney, rightly or wrongly, I thought the only way we're going to get to know anything about this damn film is if it's out in the public domain. Absolutely, yeah. And I knew by association with the conference we would be able to do that. We always got good press coverage. And um, and he agreed. And um, a, a colleague of yours um, played a, a, a very significant part of this. He's now Dr. David Clark. Yeah, at that my point, good friend he, of mine. Yeah, he was only David Clark. Yeah. And he was working at the Sheffield Star newspaper. Yep. So somewhere around, I don't know, April time, David contacted me. And he said, I'm, I'm writing a little piece about a local UFO investigator who's starting up. I know you've got your conference later in the year, Philip. Just give us a few quotes. And, and you know, and I said this, that, the other. Oh, by the way, alien autopsy film. <laughs> so David wrote his article. I never saw it until many, many years later. But then a couple of days later, you know, the phone's going mad. And it's it's somebody called White's Press Agency. And all they wanted to know about was the alien autopsy film. And all I could tell them is what I'd seen and what Ray Santilli claimed. Yeah. And I told them, and basically forgot all about it, Vinny. Goes to bed, gets up the next morning, the fax machine had been going berserk all night. <laughs> and there was literally, you know, requests for access to this film from around the world. And I thought, what the hell? And that was from White's press agency. And all I could do was pass them on to Ray Santilli. Yeah. And and that was it. You know, the story was then out. And um, up to that point, there was no media involved. There was no television involved that I'm aware of. It's only when the story leaked out. And it did. It was just an, it was just an off-the-cuff remark. And um, it took off. Uh, and and it went from there. 
So where do the other players come into this? Where does the story start sort of getting uh, more questionable, let's say? Because obviously we, you know, for anyone that knows the story, there's quite a, a cast of characters involved with all of this mm. and, and creating well, it. it. In May of 1995, Ray he organised his own screening of it at the London Museum. Right. And um, that the, basically that was in, mainly uh, an invitation for the media. I was there. What was strange, we're all sat there. Bearing in mind I'd seen this dark tent footage, I'd seen two autopsy films, I'd seen this wreckage. I'm fully expecting to see all of this come on the screen. The screen comes on, there's no int no introduction, and it's just the one autopsy film. Right. There's no sign of Santilli. I mean, absolutely no sign of him. What we didn't know, and we learned much later, he was in the projection booth at the back talking into the microphone, but he forgot to switch it on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And there was such a clamour when this film had finished, he legged it out the back door. He'd gone. And I was left there to answer all the questions from, from a lot of the media. So that's where it there, that's when the, the television became involved. Uh, Ray showed it at our conference that August to a packed house. And I mean, deadly silent. I mean, people came from all over the place to see it because the way I thought about it is just let people make up their own minds. You know, some of my colleagues at Pew Forum weren't so happy about it, but that's just. That's, you know, you can't make everybody happy. Uh, and my, my idea was, look, if we're not involved with it, somebody else is going to be. So why not yeah. us? You know, it, it fell into our lap. And um, I decided, again, rightly or wrongly, in public and to Ray Santilli's face, I would say, you know, I think it's real, Ray. You're doing a great job. Blah, blah. But underneath, I was just trying to find out what it was. I was I was 100% positive that once it went out on television, that the phone would start ringing or whatever. But, but it went on television around the world the day after our, our conference. And I'm sat there thinking, we'll find out the answers now. And it was literally the old sagebrush thing. Not a thing, not a word. You know, nobody came forward and said, that's me, I'm one of the actors, or my granddad told me about this film, I think that's him that's in it. Or, I mean, nothing. Mm. Um, of course, it was on a huge documentary called Alien Autopsy Fact or Fiction in the US. I was interviewed for that. It was so popular, they had to do another two specials after it <laughs> and have additional bits. It was the biggest selling documentary of the year on, on video. I mean, tens of millions. I mean, you know. So I'm thinking, you know, we'll find out the answers now, but it just went quiet. I mean, nobody said a word. So it's a question of where do we go from here? So all we had was the film itself. Mm. Bear in mind, Santilli had only released one autopsy film and, and the so-called debris footage. So you start with that. Is there anything on the film that is not circa 1947? No, there isn't. Some people thought the phone on there was a phone hanging on the wall. It's got a curly flex. Yeah. They thought, oh, you didn't have a curly flex in 1940. Well, you did. You just had to pay a bit extra for it, you know. But it was <laughs> it, it was there. Yeah. Uh, the instruments. The next thing we what we did was we asked the medical profession if this is an autopsy. What? And, and you'd be surprised how many were impressed by it. You know, they didn't see anything drastically wrong. Um, we asked special effects experts. All of them said, yeah, I, I could do it with enough money. And I said, that's okay. If it's a special effect, who the hell did it? Because the yeah. special effects industry, certainly in the UK, is not huge. And I started with one company, and they said, it looks like Fred. So I would ring Fred. And I say, was it you, Fred? He said, no, it looks like Bill. And I'd ring Bill, and Bill say it looks like so-and-so. I never got the same name twice. I just was going round and round and round in circles, you know? So uh, Santilli then released um, some labels. He claimed that, you know, the film is in the canister, the canister is in a box, and the box has got a, a sealed with a label over the top, you know, 
and it's got a stamp on it. It's a military stamp, and there's blurb about it, you know, when it was filmed and so on. Yeah. Now, the official stamp is a military stamp. Somebody said that's, that, you know, that's not the right era. But when we looked into it, it was. So it was from the right era. So there was nothing outstanding um, that we could point to uh, and say it's, you know, that proves it's a fake. Right. You know, um, so again, I thought, well, I'll just try and, and, and do whatever I can. I'll, I'll be nice to Ray. I'm on his side. But it's like the proverbial duck. The, my feet were paddling like bejesus under the water, <laughs> trying to find out what, what was what, really. And it took a few years, I must admit. And I can't remember what year it was now. So time's gone by. You know, the, the alien autopsy film is still being discussed. We've now got internet and emails and so on. I got an email from a guy uh, one day. And he said, I knew who made the alien autopsy film. Fair enough. Yeah, good. <laughs> you know, who? And I said, give us your phone number. And I rang him up. And he told me the story. He says, I work as a video games animator. And he said, I worked for this company called AK Music. He said, now, I went to see them one day about some work. And I'm, I'm sat in their office. Uh, a stands, stood for Andy and Keith. So yeah. it was AK Music. They made a lot of animations. They made karaoke videos and all kinds of things. And this is the phone goes in the office. And this is the, the guy who owned it, Keith. is talking to this chap. This is hello, Ray. How are <laughs> you doing? And it, you know, finishes conversation. So this lad... It was also called Keith. Had seen the alien autopsy film, knew of Ray Santilli's name in association with it, and he said to the, the other Keith, Is that Ray Santilli? Because he heard him say his name. He says, Yeah, why? He says, The alien autopsy guy. And Keith started laughing. This is, he didn't make it, we did. <laughs> what it turns wow. out, he gave me, um, the details and you know and he's it was quite happy um i found out that ak music had closed however there was still the director's home address attached to it right this was the gentleman called keith bateman that was the keith who'd been talking to in his office so i wrote got no reply basically and i you know i said look you know i spoke to him on the phone and he he was like a politician. He spoke a lot, but didn't, didn't tell you much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in the end, I thought, I know it's him. Uh, and I put the newspaper onto him, and a newspaper got hold of him and got an interview with him. Obviously, Keith had got paid a few hundred pounds, maybe, for his story. But what happened was, Keith said, we used to do business every now and again with Ray Santilli. Didn't work for him. We worked with him. Right. And he said, on occasions, we'd sit down informally and kind of brainstorm. He said, most of what we did was, daft, you know, come up with a daft, stupid things. We'd fall about laughing, you know. But he said, one day, Ray Santilli says, you know, if we had some Roswell footage, we could really make some money. Just so happened that one of Keith's employees was reading a UFO book. And it had Roswell in it. So Keith, off on his own initiative, not at Santilli's behest, on his own initiative, went to a friend's farm in Bedfordshire, got his son on a trestle table to lay him down, and he made an alien's head out of a polystyrene uh, head that you put wigs on. Yeah. Put big black eyes on it, stuck that on the top. He got two. He got two friends to wear the white coats. They got some giblets from a local butcher. The man's seen walking in front of the camera is actually the farmer himself, and they filmed it. Now, this was the so-called tent footage. Okay, and right. Was, and it was shot in colour. They take it back to their offices. They run it through the computer. They change it to black and white. They put scratches and whatever you're on it. Keith takes it to Ray Santilli. Said, so here you go. You wanted some Roswell footage? Have a look at this. And 
until he plays it and he said that's rubbish you know i need something <laughs> more substantive something that will make your eyeballs pop out so keith allegedly went away and spoke to some special effects guys and they quoted him 30 or 40 thousand pounds Santilli said get lost you know that's too much however he kept the tent footage yeah he kept it so that you know the the touch paper had been lit and it was now burning in Santilli's brain <laughs> and when he contacted Buford it was putting out unbeknown to us of course it's putting out the feelers to see if they would be interested in any of this kind of thing and Again, we jumped forward in time. So Santi Lee said no. He said they he said we he said we took film to AK music to be transferred onto on onto video. And when they got it, it was blank, it was ruined. And they played a trick on me. They brought this back and said this is the real stuff. It said it was only a long time later when I showed it to the cameraman. He said, I don't know what that is. You know, and they disassociated themselves from it. So he kind of wriggled out of it, despite what Keith was saying. And um, so we progress again, uh, and I'm sticking at it. And I used to say to myself, every now and again, I'll I'll shake the alien autopsy tree and see if anything falls out of it. <laughs> and we mentioned Graham Birdsell. Yeah. Graham, at this point, was now publisher and editor of UFO magazine. A newsstand publication selling very well. And I wrote him an article about the alien autopsy film. And he put it on the front page. So, you know, you got a picture of it and all of this. Again, gets an email out of the blue from, from a chap called himself Simon. And he said, I didn't realize there was any interest in the alien autopsy film. You know, I thought it was all dead. I said, well, much of this, the discussion is now online. It's not in the newspapers. It's not on TV. It's all, it's all online. So I got, eventually I got Simon's uh, telephone number. And I spoke to him and he said, well, my pal made the dummies for it. Would anyone be interested? <laughs> yep. I said, when you say anyone, who do you mean anyone? I said, because I would. He said, I mean anyone from the media so i said possibly so we arranged to meet in manchester he he actually picked a cafe for us to meet in manchester why manchester i have no idea the cafe we met in was completely open it was glass all the way around so you could you know you couldn't hide in it yeah so i met him and he was about my age you know he was a nice chap and he said my 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 pal is wanting to basically cash in. He wants to tell the story. He made the dummies for the alien autopsy film. I said, well, who, who is he? He said, I can't, I can't tell you. <laughs> I said, well, the only person I know that might be interested is the guy that made the documentary in the States, Alien Autopsy Fact or Fiction. It's a chap called Bob Kibbiot. Bob and I had yep. kept in touch, still in touch today. And I said, when I get home, I will email you his contact details it's up to you then so we're chatting away we you know we get another cup of coffee and he let slip that his friend had been responsible for making a a dummy for a a, a well-known um channel four television show called max headroom right yeah i remember that yeah and max was this head and it, it wobbled and it talked so, you know, the internet wasn't as good as it is now, but I dug and I dug and I dug and I dug, and I found the name of the guy who made the head. And he wasn't a special effects expert. He was a sculptor, and his name was John Humphreys. He'd gone to the Royal College of Arts, or you know, and then on occasion his work overlapped into film and television. Um, so I got his name now. But that was about it. I couldn't find him. I, there was no contact telephone number for him or anything like that. However, well, Kibia did, you know, got in touch with Simon. They agreed a deal. And John Humphreys was about to spill the beans when everything stopped. And he, he's, he's, he said, I can't do any more. Can't see anything. What had happened, we didn't know this at the time, is that Ray Santilli and his business partner, Gary Shufield, 
I just signed the contract to make Alien Autopsy the movie. Oh, right. <laughs> John Humphreys was hired to make the dummies for it. So he was now under contract. What's yeah. funny, Vinny, what's, what's really funny is I was working for a small publisher then in Leeds. A young lady called Heather, she got her own little company she was starting up and I, I, I was working there. And she says, my boyfriend's coming. I'm going to have lunch. We didn't know she had a boyfriend. So this fella arrived. She says, oh, he lives in London. Smartly dressed, briefcase, you know, very affable. I said, what do you do? He says, well, I'm, I'm actually a trained barrister, but I don't practice in court. I, I do contract law, you know. Oh, great. And uh, Heather, do you have my involvement in the UFO subject and the alien autopsy film? And he's, you know, I, he says, well, I've got something you'll be interested in. He says, I said, what's that? And says, I've got the contract for the alien autopsy movie, Ray Santini <laughs> and Gary Shufield. They are clients of mine. Wow. And he, <laughs> and he literally showed me the contract. And I was able to flip through it. I was kind of looking if I could get him to go to the bathroom and I could make a photocopy of it, you know. <laughs> so I thanked him profusely, of course. Not long after that, I think it was my last ever meeting with Ray and Gary. I went down to London on the train to meet them. We didn't meet at the office. We went to this, like an like a gentleman's club nearby. Very, very extravagant. And we're having a drink and they're very chatty. Um, Gary Shufield, I didn't like. Ray's, Ray's a very uh, nice guy to get along with, you know. Um, and they're, you know, giving it all this. And I'm just sat there thinking, this is complete and utter BS. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I said, I've got some news for you guys. What? See, I know you've signed to do the movie. What movie? I tell them. You know, nobody knew whether Ant and Deck were going to play the parts of Gary and Ray. I did. I even knew how much the budget was and how much money they were getting. And I told wow. them, like, you should have seen the look on their faces. <laughs> they didn't know what to say. But I followed it up. I actually lied myself. I made other things up because they obviously knew that that part of what I'm saying is true. So I also, you know, said, I know a lot more about you two guys, you know. And, <laughs> and that was the last time I saw them, you know. And, of course, the Ant and Deck film was made. It wasn't hugely successful. Mm. Um, Ant and Deck have never made another movie since. They've never done any acting since. Bear in mind, they started off as child actors. Yeah. You know? I think I read an article sometime later that that film had, <laughs> had scuppered their acting career. I think it was a <laughs> bit unfair because they, 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 they played good parts in it. It wasn't a great film. It wasn't rubbish. So, you know, they changed the story now. Santilli had changed the story. There was a, um, a documentary to help promote the movie uh, with Eamon Holmes as the presenter. Yep. And hey, presto, who did they bring on? John Humphreys. <laughs> Johnny's saying, no, these guys brought me some film. Uh, and I, I based the alien autopsy on, on the film. But um, we only had a few scraps. Most of it had rotted away. But, but there is real film, you know. And I thought, well, you know, the, so Ray and Gary changed their story now. They called it, you know, we've, we've you know, we've got this film and, and we've re recreate, restored it, they called it. We've restored it. Um, bear in mind, there was two autopsy films. This, you know, one seems to have disappeared and been forgotten about. Yeah. So, again, you know, they're not telling anything. We haven't got. Hundreds by this time, nobody believes them, nobody in their right mind believes them anyway. But I'm thinking we still can't prove it, you know, a hundred percent. There's still not enough proof there. Some time later, again, uh, I was working with an old colleague of mine, he's actually the son in law of Graham Bird, so it's called Russell Callahan. Russ started his own little magazine called UFO Data, uh, and I, I write a few things for him. Russ's phone goes one day. Russ and I had been interviewed Keith Bateman and one or two others, and Russ had made a little video. And uh, got a phone call, and somebody's inquiring about this video. And, you know, and this fellow on the end of the phone says, I'm the man who made the alien autopsy film. 
So Russ says, well, you don't need to be speaking to me. You need to be speaking to Philip. Yeah. And he got his phone number and I rang him. Now, we got half a name. This had come up in conversation with people at, at uh, the film company who made the Ant and Deck film. We got half a name. And it was just a first name. And it was, it was Spiros. It meant nothing to me. You type Spiros in Google, you know. So I rings this bloke. And I said, I said, what's your name? And he says, my name's Spiros Malari. So ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. You know, <laughs> the bell started ringing. And Spiros, I, I had my tape recorder on, so I was recording it just in case, told us the whole story. And the, the, the missing parts of the puzzle are falling into place as he's telling me. And then arranged a more formal um, phone conversation where I could have time to write some questions out and ask him. So I didn't know what he was going to say to begin with. Spinoff told me he was a filmmaker, uh, was a, a magician. Uh, he'd served his apprenticeship as a motor mechanic. Um, and he said he had a little film business. They do pop, pop promos, you know, film any damn thing. Mm. Every year in Cannes, there is a, a, a TV film festival. And he says, this year I'm going out to Cannes. I'm going to be doing a bit of filming, but I've got some spare time. So we had a trade uh, publication with all the different television companies and their contact details. And he said, I picked, he says, maybe a half a dozen or a dozen that were pretty near to where our, our, we were located. And I faxed them, basically saying, we're in Cannes. We have a film crew. If you need one, we've got time on our hands. Of course, one of those places he sent a fax to was the Merlin Group, Ray <laughs> Santilli's company. He met Ray out in Cannes. They had a chat. You know, Ray tells him this fantastic story about this alien autopsy film, this, you know, footage, the cameraman. And Spiros is thinking, well, okay, you know. So anyway, for whatever reason, he decides to go to Santilli's office and have a look. And the film that he played in was the ten footage because that's all he had. Of course, yeah. Spiros says it's a fake. I can tell you it's a fake. So Santilli says, oh, you know, I laid a lot of money out for this, and I'm, you know. So Spiros is driving home, and and, it, and again he has a light bulb moment and thinking, well, I'm my best friend is John Humphreys, a world class sculptor. I wonder, I wonder <laughs> just if, you know, they have a chat, they go back to Santilli with a proposal and how much it'll cost. And hey, presto, the alien autopsy film, as we, you know, love it or hate it, was born. So the guy behind it was Spiros Molaris. The man who made the dummies was uh, John Humphreys. Santilli had little input. Gary Shufield had no input in it whatsoever. Mm. And of course, the name Spielberg cropped up at some point. Everybody's thinking Steven Spielberg. It was actually Santilli's business associate in Germany. He's called Volker Spielberg. He's <laughs> the one that put up the money for it. Santilli right. didn't have it at the time. So that Spielberg was involved. He was actually there on May the 1st when they had the, the screening in, in the London Museum. But nobody knew who the hell he was. It's only looking at some photographs that were taken of the event later. That there's this strange fella, and that was Volker Spielberg. That's the only photograph we have of him. Um, but he was the mysterious Spielberg. And Spiros told me everything. So I said, okay, no disrespect. You have to prove it. Your yeah. story on the end of a typhoon is just like Santilli's story, you know? For all I know, you could be a business associate of his and you're just trying to, you know, throw some muck at him. Yeah. So, again, I arranged a date with my wife and went down to, to Spiros's house. He got out everything he, he could lay his hands on. He even had his diary from 1995 with meetings in it and phone numbers. Um, he got out um, boxes of paperwork. They were faxes from Kodak because... One of the big contentious issues was that the film had these little codes on them. 
you know, little symbols. And these symbols represented the year of manufacture. Right. So yeah. Kodak has faxing Spiros back and said, 1947 is this and this, you know. So he knew what and all kinds of stuff. Spiros himself is quite a decent artist. And he, he hadn't done a few scribbles. He actually did a, you know, a whole range of paintings. So he, he made it, the alien autopsy. He did a storyboard in effect and he painted it. I've, I've got one of them here. That's one of them. It's not. It's oh, wow. This was done by somebody else based on, on one of Spiros's paintings. Right. And another thing he had, for example, he had a huge file folder of American military vehicles. And I'm talking dozens and dozens and dozens of them. That's what the hell do you want them for? It's what we were also going to do. He says, we were going to make a flying saucer crash. Wow. <laughs> so you'd have the crash in the background, you know, the, the thing in, in, in the desert. We'd have a, a vehicle and we'd have an actor made up as President Eisenhower. <laughs> and we would tell him, what to say, and then if you could lip read, you'd be able to see what I was saying. And he said, I was going to use this truck here. He said, but I was going to build just the back end of truck out of, out of wood. Right, yeah. The back end of it in screen, but I would use that number plate. So if you could go and check military number plates, it would turn out to be a real vehicle from 1947. You know, and he got, and he had more and more and more stuff. So, there was no question that he was behind it. And I said, well, why have you decided to, to come out now? He said, we, all, we had an agreement between us that, you know, we wouldn't say anything because he said, originally, it wasn't made to make any money. The idea we had behind it was we'd make it, we'd let it out there, and then six months, 12 months later, we'd go, da-da, aren't we great? In the hope that people would then say, these guys fooled everybody. We better get, we better, we can hire these guys. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It says every time I went to see Santilli about it, he just said, oh, I haven't made my money back. You know, Spiros, I didn't have a clue what was going on in the background. I had no idea about the TV deals that were being done. Didn't know. And it's only when the Ant and Deck film was, was, start, was, was going to be made, Santilli went to show him. And Santilli said, this is enough, Ray. Enough of this nonsense. You know, we've got to tell, tell people the story. So he said, once they made the movie, as far as I was concerned, that, you know, our agreement was finished. And he started looking around for the first time to see what happened to the alien autopsy film. And his jaw fell off, you know. he was, <laughs> And he was going around all the different products that mentioned the alien autopsy, one of which was Russell's little DVD that he'd made himself, you know? And that's why he rang him. Because basically he's saying, well, the film you see, that everybody's seen on television or online, he says, I actually own it. The reason why I own it is because we filmed one before it. Right. That is the autopsy that has no defects in it whatsoever. And he said, my girlfriend at the time, she did all the medical things. And we were playing it back. And she said, you've done something wrong there. They would never, ever do that in an autopsy. So if you let that out, you're finished straight away. So he said, we had run out of money. Santilli was, you know, shaking his head, didn't know what to do. So Spiro says, I will pay the crew and the costs. We'll make another one. So they already got the mold for the for the creature, the alien. John Humphreys does his magic. They, they open the mold in the morning, and of course, there's a fault with it. There's a hole in the leg. There's been an air pocket. So ah, they, okay. They improvise. They get a Bunsen burner or whatever. They burn it. They, he sends John to the butcher to get a bone. They put that in it, so there's a bone joint in it as well. So they, they improvised. That is the one that everybody's seen. That's why Spiro says, I own that because I paid for it. Sure. Right. Makes sense. I, yeah. paid, I paid for that. And he went to the copyright office 
and he had to show his proof and they have given him a copyright license. They haven't withdrawn it from Santilli. You have to go to court for that. But, okay. but, but Spiros does have a legal copyright ownership of that and and the debris film. And what's what's it's, it's the little details that Vinny that also add up. Spiros told us he says we you know we made the creature the first one, but it laid out on the slab. It's perfect, you know. We dissect it, take the giblets out, take the brain out, and it. And then we realised we'd made a mistake. He said we literally left it on the slab because they'd set this up in his sister's apartment in her flat. She was having it renovated, so it didn't make any difference. They built the set, you know, and off they went. Well, well, well. We'll reset the mold tonight. We'll come back and we'll make another one tomorrow. When they came back the following day, the door was open of the house, the flat. And I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> and they'd actually been robbed. And he said, the only thing they took downstairs, they had a few other props that they didn't use, one of which was a, a sidearm from an American soldier. Right. So when they filmed the... Uh, the debris footage, there's a guy holding it up with his uniform on. He was going to be wearing a sidearm, but they'd stolen it. He said, but can you imagine the burglar's face when he walked up the stairs, <laughs> opened the door, and this thing is then laid out on the slab? Because they thought at first, oh, we've been rumbled. They thought, well, it can't be rumbled because you'd have to admit to burglary in, uh, to begin with. Yeah, of course. You know, And that's just one of the little stories that goes with it. You know, you don't have to make up stories like that, but Spiros has since done his own book. Uh, I've done a book. Uh, and Spiros, what he said to me is, he said, everything in the book, Philip, I can prove. I've got the evidence to back it up. He says, I know a lot more, but I, I can't necessarily prove it. Right, okay. So if, you, if, so if I'm questioned or challenged on anything that's in this book, any specific item, or all of them for that matter, I can provide the proof for that. And, and it's a damn good book, I, I must say. It's nearly as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So then, you know, it all goes quiet again about this damn film. It, yeah, And I got an email, again, from a chap I don't know. I have no idea who the hell he is. And he said, have a read of this. And it's this email thread. And it's from... Um, NIDS, what was NIDS, the National yep. Institute of Discovery Sciences. And a number of other people are copied in on it. And it's basically addressed to a gentleman called Christopher, Dr. Christopher Kit Green. He's known as Kit Green to his friends, apparently. Yeah. And they're clarifying some of his comments that he previously made. And they're all about the alien autopsy film. Now, this thing then then was uploaded to some website the following day, and off it went again. So there's a number of people on this um, email thread that I I knew who they were. And I emailed them and said, is this real? And they said, yeah. So I'm, Fair enough. You know, and bugger me, I'm mentioning it as well. Because in whatever year it was, or if it's 2001, a gentleman by the name of Colm Kelleher was part of NIDS. Yep. Contacted me about the alien autopsy film. And I put him in touch with Ray Santilli. You know, I, I left them to it. But I'm mentioned in it. Basically, Kit Green, um, he did work for the CIA, I believe, at one point, And he, he operated what was called their weird desk. And I think that's an over-exaggeration, but anything weird and wonderful that came their way, I think he was the, the, the go-to man for it. And he's saying in his original statement that, you know, the alien autopsy film of Santilli's was exactly the same as one that was shown to him by the CIA years before this. Yeah, in the 80s. Yeah, and he, in fact, he, he was shown several films. And he talks about Ray Santilli's um, associates. Well, you know, I don't remember any associates like he's describing them. And he, you know, they, he answers their questions. And basically all of them, all of these people on this email list are all doctors of one form or another. And they all thought 
the alien autopsy film was real, probably based on Kit Green. Yeah. So I managed to get hold of Kit Green on, on email. And I, and I said, and he didn't want to talk about it, to be honest. You know, I, I think others had, had, had pestered him. Yeah. But eventually I got him to talk and he said, he said, he said, we don't believe it's real now. And he believed that the CIA had pulled some kind of stunt on him or whatever. But Sam Tilly gets hold of this email thread and he calls it the CIA email. Well, it's not from the CIA or a CIA. It's from the colleagues working for Bigelow at the time, NIDS, National yeah. Institute of Discovery Sciences. Uh, my way of looking at it was that Bigelow is a, is a big believer in this kind of thing. They've looked into it. And they've said it's real. They don't really want to upset the apple cart. They want to keep the paychecks coming so they can do the, in inverted commas, the real research on the real stuff. You know, whether that's <laughs> correct or not, I don't know. But once again, you know, just when you thought that, you know, the alien autopsy film was dead, it wasn't. And then just, a, what was it, last year or the year before, Santilli pops up again. He's now selling a frame, an original frame of the alien autopsy film as a, was it an NFT or NTF? That's it, N uh, NFT, yeah. NFT, and I think it's, I think he was asking for, a, I don't know if it was a million pounds. I think what. it was a million, yeah. Yeah, and of course Spiros sees it, he gets in touch with the company who's auctioning this thing saying this is nonsense. You know, they take it down and say until they keep putting it back up again. And, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, I've, I'm still in contact with Silly, Santilli. We exchange an email once in a while, just pleasantries, you know, nothing out of the order. And I've just made, it, made him aware. So, Ray, when you're ready to tell your side of the story, and, and by that I mean the truth, you know where I am. And that is like a pocket history of, of, of the alien autopsy film, you know. I was determined, um, Vinny, to get to the bottom of it. I didn't think it would take as long as it did. Because when it hit, you know, when it when it hit the headlines, there was those that said I was, um, you know, on the take from Santilli. I was his, you know, his, his partner in crime, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> this came about basically because my wife and I had a small family at that point, and we were building a an extension on our house. And somebody said, "Well, where does where does Mantle get that money from?" Well, I didn't have that money. My wife did. My wife had had her own property prior to us meeting. We'd sold it and we used some other proceeds from it to build the extension on our house. Nobody ever asked me that. They just thought Mantle's on the take. Of course. You know, he's getting all these tons of money. I got I got paid a small fee for writing Ray Santilli's documentary. He eventually made it and sold it. And it's narrated by Brian Blessed, you know, well known actor. And I got paid a small, just a small fee for writing that. None, none of us, Santilli included, knew that this would take off like it did. And uh, and here we are still talking about it. How many years later? You know. Yeah, over twenty-five years. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, that's just an incredible story. And um, obviously, recently I was made aware of this four-part TV series, Alien Autopsy: The Search for Answers is available i think on amazon prime this one here yeah, yeah and that was I mean, really good it, it laid it all out yeah i mean it's a company in london that asked me if i'd take part in it and um i agreed i, I didn't know how many parts it was going to be they made it into a four-parter some people say that's a bit long they might be right but all you know i didn't know santilli was going to be interviewed for it he's still telling you this false story and what what is interesting for me is on it you know, they ask him the, a question about the second autopsy film. And he said, what? What second? <laughs> He's now forgotten. Because if you're doing a, a restoration, you don't you don't make two films, do you? If, if, I, if you were an art restorer and I said, Vinny, I, I, I want you to, I've got, I, you know, I own the Mona Lisa. I want you to restore it for me. You wouldn't make, you know, wouldn't restore that one and make another one. 
No, absolutely not. It's completely different, you know. No. Bear in mind the other autopsy film, the creature is completely undamaged. It's in the same location, same people, um, but there is a fault with it. And that fault is of a medical nature. I've seen it, and it's also a lot brighter. And I, and I asked Spiros about this. He says, well, the reason it's a lot brighter is because we were never going to use it. He said, what I did with the other one, I run it through the computer and just darkened it a little bit. You know, I didn't bother with that one because we weren't going to use it. So that's why it's brighter, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, so it... It, it keeps on going. It keeps on trucking, so to speak. So does Santilli still claim that there's a couple of frames in the video from a, the orig original real autopsy that I think he said he first saw in 92? Is that right? Yeah. He, he, originally he said 93, but it was 92. And the reason we know it's 92 is Santilli did a newspaper article about some of his finds in 1992. No mention of any Elvis footage, but he did buy some Elvis correspondence that the right. newspapers like was Elvis, the last letters and all this lot, mm. because he was a collector. Uh, and he, you know, I remember sitting in his office one day, for example, and he was drooling over the shoebox. And he opened it and there were all black and white photographs of the Beatles that he'd bought and they'd never been published anywhere. So, you know, it, how much to be worth? I don't know, but that's the kind of thing he, he, he dealt in. And it was 1992. So, what he claimed was he'd seen the, the film at the cameraman's house, shook hands on it, but didn't have the cash to pay him. And it took him a while to raise the money via Volker Spielberg, of course. They paid him, you know, some 18 months later, two years later, the film is shipped over. And when they open the canisters, it's damaged. It started to melt and all this lot. Okay. Like, it doesn't do that, you know. But that was his story. And he said all he was left with is some frames and you can see the creature that's one of them he tried to sell for a million dollars you know yeah uh, and that they inserted some of these into the alien autopsy film excuse me i just gotta take these no problem at all but uh and these are the frames that that um sculptor john humphreys claims he saw but there weren't any frames it was all shot on 16 millimeter film, but but modern day 16 millimeter, you can still buy it. Didn't he didn't he splice it though? Didn't um, Spiros splice some 16 well, millimeter did, with a, an old yeah. baseball film or yeah, something? Yeah, they went down Camden Market or wherever it was and he buy some old film. One was a baseball film, but it was. Bear in mind, Kodak had already sent Spiros a fax, knowing what the edge code to look for that would tell you the year, and he bought a baseball film. And he snipped the leader off and a bit of the film and he stuck it onto the alien autopsy film. He spliced it onto it, which is the new stuff. He got a, a photography expert called Bob Shell over from the States. I met Bob several times. Bear in mind as well, Spiros is and was then a magician. Yeah. So he does the old magician trick. He, all he did was reel the film out and he kept saying, no, I can't show you. Don't touch it, you know, and he's, you know, he's enticing Bob Shell, you know. So he pulls it all out, and all he does is he puts his finger and his thumb over the splice. <laughs> Holds the film up. You can see it going up into the locker room, which Spiros claims was the autopsy room. Yeah. He showed him the edge codes, and then following on is the, is the creature on the slab. But that his modern day film and he put his finger and he's what do they call it misdirection do, do um, magicians don't they they, uh, they yeah. you know they, they'll say look at this but it's the other hand you want to be looking at you know <laughs> what i mean that's yeah. exactly what he did and of course bob shell walked away saying it's real and it's genuine he's now in prison which is another story all on its own but but you know he'd, he'd been fooled uh basically and um that's that's just how things there's all kinds of little things in it you know that happened and things that were said and done but and there's still people that believe it's real Vinny. I, I mean not that many years ago a, a gentleman that i know said i'm gonna uh, him and a business colleague were gonna put a proposition to Santilli to buy the film from him for a, a substantial amount of money 
And I said, don't buy it. <laughs> I'm telling you now, do not buy it. It is fake. This is what yeah. all of it, Philip. I'm saying, yes, all of it is fake. You know, don't, whatever you do, uh, thankfully, he didn't buy it, you know. Um, but he, he was, he was, him and a businessman wanted to wanted to buy the film for a substantial amount of money. And I'm just, I'm like you, I'm shaking my head, <laughs> um, uh, you know. So there you go. That, that's the alien autopsy film. And it will continue to, to you know, to resurrect itself every now and again. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you coming on and t uh, telling us, you know, the intricacies and the ins and outs of it. I really do appreciate it. For anybody that does want to go and watch the four-part series, uh, it's available on Amazon Prime. It is linked in the description below. I think it, it, it's a great, you know, timeline of everything that happened. Philip, thank you again. Now, I'd love to have you on uh, again. We can talk about other cases and other things you've worked on because obviously you've, you've done that. So hopefully you'll come back in the, the not-so-distant future. Well, yes. I mean, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Pascagoula case in Pascagoula, Mississippi in 1973. Um, we have a lot of information to release on that by September, October time. So uh, I'm sure it'll get the tongues a wagging and, <laughs> and the teeth are chattering. But yes, we'll happily do that, Vinny. Thank you ever so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you again. Thank you to also to everyone in the live chat. Thank you for being here as always and showing your support. I really do appreciate it. Uh, hopefully next time you see me, I will be here with my co-host Katie Howland. But for now, everyone, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Goodbye.